was thinking this morning about a book I was trying to remember, um, if you, but I can't remember the title of it. If you give if you give a mouse a, a what cookie? Okay, if you give a mouse a cookie because it goes through and the mouse gets all kinds of stuff. But um, anyway, as I prepared for as I prepared for this week, um, I I'm an engineer at Boeing and I felt a little bit like if you give an engineer a text because all my analogies this week and everything I'm going to be pointing to is is sort of nerdy. So if we could share my picture, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about what you see there. Um, before any of my colleagues at Boeing panicked too much, this is commercially available uh, photograph, so I didn't, I didn't sneak in the factory and take this. Um, but um, yeah, I'm going I'm to just talk a little bit about that picture, but uh, first let me just lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day you've given us, uh, God, that you've assembled your church, not only in, in this building, uh, God, but in buildings all over the low country and, and all over the world. Uh, people meet today, and we lift up um, Jesus, who we believe is precious, and we, be, we lift up the one who we believe is worth our worship. Uh, Father, in a, in a way that we are not even adequate to to do. So this morning, as we as we look at your word, um, Father, we just ask that you open our eyes, speak to our hearts, uh, God, so that we can know you better, so that we can serve you better. Um, we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to First Peter chapter two. Um, this uh, picture is taken back in 2011, and the, um, it's from about the third floor of the factory at Boeing in Charleston. Um, this was the first 787 that was assembled um, here in, in, in Charleston. And uh, it's a pretty significant event. And when I moved here, uh, I, I moved here probably just a few months before this picture was taken because... I, when I moved here, the, the tail section there, um, I remember walking it over from the aft body building into this final assembly building. And so um, I hadn't, up until that point, worked on, a, on the 787 program. And so one of the things that was, um, I, I knew a lot about the technical challenges of, of the airplane, working with new materials, composite materials that had never been done before on an airplane like this. and. Um, I, what I didn't have an appreciation for was the logistical challenges that were associated with this airplane because when, when you look at the pieces there and it's like it's um, it's like a puzzle right it looks like it just you just snap it together and it'd be done but um, ha have you ever been around town and you see the Dreamlifter fly over that big ugly bloated plane <laughs> it's like well what that thing's doing is it's going all over the world and it's collecting these pieces um, from the wings from Japan or um, that center section from Italy or the um, the fuse or the, the the cockpit section this Wichita Kansas and and the aft body back there is uh, is is here in Charleston but all over the world this plane four of them are flying around and they're gathering up the pieces and they're bringing them back to Charleston to be assembled and it's you can imagine the complexity of the logistics of something like that. And it kind of got, as I was reading Peter talk about um, the church, it got me to thinking um, 
about the complexity because the church, like this airplane, is, is kind of scattered all over the world, right? And, and so what Peter talks about this morning is, is how do we assemble this, this church, not into an airplane, but into a spiritual building. And he's going to tell us how we assemble, and everything's got to go together really precisely, just like the airplane. The pieces have got to fit. There's no, there's no room for error. So how do we bring all these different cultures, all these different nations, all under one understanding and have that understanding um, in unity together so that it's, it's functional? And that's what, that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. Uh, there in verse 4, as we get started, it says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. I think it's interesting that Peter starts off with a stone analogy. <clears throat> because we know Peter has had his name changed um, to Petros, which is rock, right? So when, when, when Peter's writing his book... It's, it's, it's interesting that he starts off talking about stones. Um, if you remember back when Jesus was meeting with the disciples and they were sitting around and Jesus comes up with the question, he says, who do you say that I am to his disciples? And they all kind of sit there and look at each other and then Peter speaks up and he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answers Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, that's his old name, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is the rock? Well, it's not Peter. Peter's not the rock. If Peter was the rock, by the way, when he's given our analogy that we're going to see in First Peter today, he would have said, I'm the, I'm the cornerstone. Peter's not the cornerstone. The rock that is the church is being built on is the statement that was made that Jesus Christ is foundational to the church. So, so Jesus says, on me, on myself, on what you just said, Peter, that's what we're, I'm going to build my church on. And so, um, and, and so I think Peter has that in mind as he, um, as he talks through this, this analogy of of what the church is. And there in verse 4 he says of, um, of this living stone, he, he points to two attributes. He says the stone is chosen and the stone is precious. Um, that word chosen is, is, is in Greek it's eklekton. It means to be chosen. It, it, it reminds you of the same root word that we get the, the Greek word ekklesia. You may have heard that one before. That's where we get our word church from. So ekklesia, church, is the ones who have been called. The called out ones are the church. So, so it's, it's the same root word here. Peter wants us to realize that this stone, this precious stone, has been chosen specifically for the job. If you think back to that dream lifter, it's, it's like...
Also in this verse you see, um, it says that uh, rejected by men, but in the sight of God. What, what we get in this verse is a picture of how God sees Jesus. Because we as men, we, we, we're kind of cursed right now in a way that we have to look through our own sinful eyes, right? And our vision's a little, we, we, we do as good as we can. So one way to know if you're born again is do you see the preciousness of who Jesus is? That's what we see here. As we move into verse 5, um, Peter's going to continue his, his stone-building analogy. Um, P Peter says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter says not only is Jesus a living stone, but we collectively are living stones. Um, I was thinking back to uh, this week, this next week, I go to, um, I go to uh, Brooke's class that she teaches. She teaches a STEM class. Um, and uh, I always go there once a year, and I talk about engineering, and I talk about airplanes and, and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that I always uh, want to go through with the kids is, if you were going to build an airplane, what material would you use to do that? There, there's lots of choices, right? You could, you could make an airplane out of wood. There's, there's pros and cons to making an airplane out of wood. It's pros, it's cheap, it's easy to work with, right? It's, um, you probably already have tools that you can, you can work with wood. But on the flip side, it's also not very strong. Um, termites eat it. Like there, there's a lot of reasons not to build an airplane out of wood. 
And so we, we kind of think through that for, for all different kinds of materials. And, and I was thinking as Peter um, is building his analogy here, uh, it's interesting that, that he, his, his material of choice is a stone. I think he's trying to tell us something, the fact that, that he says you're living stones because what Jesus is putting together or what God's putting together in this spiritual house is something significant. It's made of these big, living stones. It's not a hut that he's building. It's not a tent that he's building. He's assembling these, these heavy, massive stones into something great. Kind of like the temple, only, only now the temple was destroyed. Now we're putting together this spiritual house that will never fail. <clears throat> he also says in this verse that... Um, that we have a holy priesthood. How many of us woke up this morning and thought, well, I'm a priest? No, probably not, right? But guess what? Peter says, we, if we're born again, if we're believers, welcome to the, welcome to the royal priesthood. And when we think about priests, um, Old Testament priests in the temple, uh, there, was, there was a couple of things that, that, that come to my mind for that. And, you know, I bet it was a hard job being, a, being an Old Testament priest because all, you know, people just bringing you animals. You were almost like a butcher because your primary role was just animal sacrifices. That was hard work. It was dirty work. And so, so the first thing I think about is, is, is sacrifices. Um, so when, when Peter says that we are priests, one of the things he's talking about is we are a people who need to be making sacrifices. Now, obviously, we don't make animal sacrifices. to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship you see that it ultimately comes down to how do we how do we live our lives each and every day do we do we live our lives such that it's a it's a living sacrifice that we offer up to God and how we conduct ourselves and how we, how we worship, all, all those things. That's, that's our role as being a priest in offering that, that behavior, that idea, that, that, that thing back up to God as a, as a sacrifice. That's our, that's our priesthood. Now, the second thing I thought about, get it wrong. Those rectangular walls, and they were kind of nested inside of each other. There, was, there, was, there were other walls, and, and, and you, you kept kind of drilling down into this um, holy of holies, right? And inside the holy of holies was the, 
was the Ark of the Covenant and the dwelling place of God. And so the idea was that as you moved closer and closer to the center of the temple, you got closer. priest, guess what? You got to go further. And if you were the high priest, then on at least one day out of the year, you went in the room. And that was, that was a scary time. So you had, so when I hear the word priest, I think access, access to God. So when Peter says you're a, a royal priest, a holy priesthood, I think what he's saying is in a new way. Now, remember, remember the veil in the, um, in, in the temple tore when Jesus was, was crucified, signifying that we now had direct access. I, I think one of the things Peter has in mind here is he's saying, now, now you are the priest. Now you have the direct access. You don't, you don't no longer stop at the outer courts. Now, now you have the ability to walk directly up to the throne of God and talk. Wow. That's, that, that's a big deal. So we get down to verse 6. <clears throat> For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying a, in Zion, Jerusalem, Israel, a stone, here it is, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So Peter goes on and he starts to quote Isaiah at this point. And that's that part that you see in the, in, in the quotation marks. Um, w- when you read that, who, who is doing the action in that sentence? <clears throat> I feel like I sound like an English teacher. Who's doing the action in the, in the sentence? It's God, the Father, right? You see that? He says, I am laying a stone. It's God the Father is the, is the I in the sentence. So God the Father lays a stone, a foundational stone, which is the cornerstone, which is his son, <clears throat> Jesus Christ. The cornerstone is the most important stone in the structure. Um, it establishes the frame of reference for the entire building. It, it establishes where the foundation of the building is going to be. It establishes what's level, what's plumb. Everything in the building, properly understood, must be compared to the cornerstone. And Jesus and Peter says, as, as he talks about this spiritual house, he says, there's a cornerstone that was laid. And everything that's understood must be understood in terms of, of, of Jesus Christ. I think there's a there's a temptation that today that we often get this wrong. Um, oftentimes today, what we see are are people kind of come up with their version of what what's right and what's wrong. They come up with with their version of what should be acceptable to God or who God is, and then. And then they find for themselves a, a church that fits that framework. And so in that case, it's not, it's not that Jesus is a stone. It's that Jesus is like a, 
a ball of clay and I just mold him into whatever shape I want him to be. And nothing could be further from the truth because God does not change. This is another reason why these are stones. They don't, they don't just change shape. <clears throat> they, they, they have no interest in changing themselves to align with the cornerstone. As, as we come to the building, as we see ourselves inserted into this spiritual house, we first look at Jesus and we say, okay, this is, this is the shape I'm supposed to take. I'm supposed to model myself after that cornerstone. That's what it means to be seeing myself in terms of, of Jesus. Not can I reshape the building to align with what I think. You see the difference there. <clears throat> Peter also says in this verse, he says that this most sacred stone was chosen. If you, if you go back to 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7, um, they were, Solomon was building the original temple. And this is really fascinating. I love it. Um, he's talking about building the temple and, and selecting the stones. And I wonder if Peter kind of had this in mind as he was talking about these, these chosen stones. Um, it says, when the house was built, it was with stone prepared at the quarry so that neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron was heard in the house while it was being Built. So, so they got the rock out of the ground at the quarry and they worked on it there and they got it exactly perfect, exactly as it would be so that when they took it over to where the temple was going to be built, they just dropped it right in place and it was a perfect fit. That's exactly opposite of how I do carpentry work. Um, I was putting, I had to replace this section of hardwood floor in the house the other day and I must have cut it 75 times. And every time I'd walk in there and hold it down, it's still too long. And then, and then one time I cut it and I come in there, all right, now all of a sudden it's too short. So that, 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 it's completely different from how I do it. But, but could you imagine the precision that must be? And so, so each one of those stones that were placed in that building were, were placed there perfectly. They were chosen stones. So Peter reminds us that Jesus was the perfect stone. He was, he was chosen when you think about trying to shape Scripture uh, or trying to shape Jesus into who we want Him to be, and, and you think back to our, our study through Matthew, um, you remember the religious, the religious leaders, uh, when they first started encountering Jesus, He didn't fit their idea of what they thought the Messiah was going to be. To them, the Messiah was going to be a warrior, somebody who would deliver them from the oppression of Rome, uh, somebody who would validate their, their religious system that they had created, um, who would be okay with their corruption. You remember that? And, and, and so when Jesus didn't do those things, you could see pretty quickly that the house was not level. Right? When, when you compared the house that they had built to Jesus, they, they were off. Something was off and something... Had to get, had to give. Those, those. Peter says in this verse, the builders rejected him, and those, those are the builders who, who, who rejected Jesus because they, they chose their own system over, over him. They did not. They never looked at Jesus and thought, "Here's one who's precious." Right? There are, there are people who did look at Jesus and think that, but, but. The Pharisees were, were not among those who saw anything precious, anything 
worthy to be worshipped in Jesus. Again, not born again. They don't have a heart. They don't have the eyes to see that. And so what's the ultimate end of this rejection? Um, it, says, it says they tripped over the stone and met the stone of offense. Um, which, which is kind of a phrase in that day that, that meant, you know, this stone that was supposed to be the cornerstone, it was supposed to be the alignment stone, that the stone of reference. To them, it was a stumbling block and, and a stone of offense, which is to, to say that it, you, you would fall and be crushed by the stone or fatally wounded by the stone, whatever that was. The stone that was meant to save became the stone that would be ultimately led to their destruction. And I don't think there's any middle ground today. There's, there, there, there's the same situation when we, when we come to Jesus as the stone and we look at him, it's either A, we choose to align to him, to believe in him, to trust in him, and, and our lives are reshaped by that, or we choose not to and ultimately meet our demise. Uh, verse 9 says, <clears throat> But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, I can't remember if I said this earlier, but one thing that I always look for when I'm studying a passage of Scripture are words of repetition. So if you're going through a passage and you see something is mentioned over you know, a couple of times, three times, four times, that's generally a good indicator that that's something you need to focus in on in your Bible study as, as a repeated word because it's probably important. And so here we have it again, this, this, this concept Peter says... Um, you are a chosen race. Right? He said Jesus was chosen. He said the stones, the living stones are chosen. Now he says you're a chosen race. Um, who is the you? You are a chosen race. Who's the you there? It's those, those of us who are in this spiritual house. <clears throat> it's those of us who understand the preciousness of Christ. It's those of us who have been born again back in chapter 1. It's those of us who have, who have aligned ourselves with His church. <clears throat> All that is true because we have been chosen to do that. And I think, I think when, when, when Peter says that, I'm just like, it, it kind of it overwhelms you a little bit when you really settle in on it. And, and, and the first place I go is like, why, why me? I thought about that song, the song, Why Me, Lord? Why, why, would, why would I be chosen? Like what, there's, there's nothing of worth in me outside of what Jesus has done. So, so why is it? And, and I don't know. I don't, it, it, it has to be like where we got Amazing Grace, the song from, right? Because at some point, that's the only place I can go is like, Wow, I didn't deserve this. His grace is amazing. And that, that's exactly, every time I think through that, that that's, how, that's how I go. Um, but, but Peter says you're a chosen race. Um, 
it's interesting that he that he chooses that word race um, because what we know when we read the book of Revelation and we get to the end um, gathered around the throne of God are are all the races every tribe every nation every tongue represented in this glorious picture of worship um, that that all providing this uh, just lifting up God in that moment and you get that wonderful picture of, of God being praised by his people all over the world. Um, but, but Peter says here, well, that is true. Peter says that we're a, um, a chosen race. Now, a race of people, we're not talking about the human race. We're talking about a race, like, like we're related. We're, we're blood. It's a, it's a genetic characteristic that we all share, right? There, there's, there's some things within a race that, that unite that race of people in a genetic way. And I think what Peter's saying is, is it's more than we're just a, a, a random group of chosen people. But we've been brought together and we've been, we've been sort of given some spiritual DNA that links us together kind of like a family or like a race of people. <clears throat> And so even though, it, while it is true that, that maybe we are of different races, maybe we are of different nationalities, we all share a bond together in Jesus Christ. And so we're, 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 a, we're a chosen race of people that are united by that spiritual DNA. And, and then he says, he goes on to this priesthood thing again, and he, he kind of amps it up a little bit. He says, you're a royal priesthood. Not just a regular priest. You're like a priest that belongs to the king. You're, a, you're an important priest. <clears throat> this, this morning, um, I'm going to go ahead and in, invite the musicians, uh, if you guys can come. Gary, you've really got your hands full. So... Um, As we, as we kind of think about this spiritual house, um, the, the thing that makes it possible for us to even function as priests is, is, is through Jesus Christ. Uh, P- Peter ends that verse and he says, you've, you've been called out of darkness into marvelous light. Um, you don't have to walk very far out those doors to figure out that the world is a dark place. And I think that's the thing that, you know, as we, as we go out into the world, as part of this living, these living stones, as part of this structure, we become the light that points others back to here. And that, that's, um, <clears throat> that, it's, a, it's an important role. And, and it's something that the world needs. Um, so my, my prayer this morning, as, as we kind of close this, is there may be uh, those here who are... Um, who've never trusted in Jesus. Maybe you've made the decision, you looked at the cornerstone and you said, that, that's not for me. Um, and, and maybe Jesus has been a stumbling block for you. Um, this, this morning there's an invitation to, to make a different decision. And um, I, think, I think the other part of this invitation is, is many of us in this room, believers, right? We, we've been born again. But at the same time, we've also viewed ourselves against the cornerstone, and maybe we see things in our lives that are it's a little bit off. 
It needs to change, right? There's some things that, that we need to repent of and, and, and do differently, and that's okay. Uh, this morning, as, as we have the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And this morning, as we eat the bread, as we drink the cup, we remember that Jesus' body was broken, that his blood was spilled, and it didn't make us perfect. It didn't make us um, without error. And so this morning, before we do that, I'll just, I'll just ask you this morning just to take it some time and look at the cornerstone and, and, and evaluate the cornerstone in light of, of, of who you are. And I think there's probably going to be some things that the Holy Spirit says, hey, this, this is something we need to talk about. And so let's do that this morning. Let's stand together. Um, Darren is going to be over here. I'll be over here if anybody, if anybody wants to pray.